Hello everyone, this is Gene Telsk. Once again, I'd like to welcome you to my White Collar Crime and Fraud podcast. Um, I seem to be saying this a lot. Once again, I have to apologize for the lateness of this podcast. Uh, my father recently passed away and of course I've been dealing with those issues. But um, I would like once again, welcome everyone. And we are at the end of 2021. Um, I guess I'd like to start off by thanking all of my listeners. When I started this podcast, I guess most podcasters have the same feeling I do or did, which is we don't know where this is going. Is anybody going to listen? Is there any interest out there? Am I wasting my time? Am I talking to myself? What have you? Um, I'm very pleased and humbled to report that I have thousands of listeners worldwide and, um, just deeply touched by all my listeners and uh, especially deeply touched by the emails I get from some of you, um, including those emails with uh, show ideas. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I mentioned at the beginning, the purpose of this podcast is a multi-level analysis of fraud and white collar crime. Uh, as I said, I always say I'm, a, I'm an attorney at law here in Houston, Texas. I'm also a certified fraud examiner. I work a lot with white collar crime and fraud issues. Uh, I'd like to, the purpose of this podcast is to explore fraud in white collar crime from the legal aspect, the personal aspect, historical aspect, um, psychological aspects, just try and get a holistic view of why fraud occurs, how it occurs, of course, how to prevent yourself from being a victim of fraud, to look sometimes at the uh, psychology of fraudsters and why they do what they do. As I said, I find the whole subject endlessly fascinating. And uh, apparently from the from my listeners, you do as well. I'm glad that I'm very glad and happy that um, my listeners get some enjoyment from this podcast and hopefully learn something as well. This is a labor of love. And um, as I said, I enjoy doing this. So as we approach the end of 2021, I'm going to, st- since this is the first year of the podcast, obviously, I'm going to start what is going to become a tradition um, for this podcast and review some of the major fraud news from the year. And I'm also going to spend a few minutes talking about um, Enron 20 years on. As I mentioned, I'm a member, I'm a certified fraud examiner, and every six, every twice a month, or six times a year, excuse me, um, there's Fraud Magazine, which is published by the uh, Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. And there's a fascinating article in this uh, magazine this month by um, the December, November, December issue by Sharon Watkins. Uh, Sharon Watkins was the whistleblower at Enron. Um, during the time I've worked for a firm where we represented Ms. Watkins, I've had the honor and pleasure of meeting her on a few occasions. I believe that Sharon is an extraordinarily brave individual who took the steps necessary to um, what turned out to bring down at the time the largest fraud, one of the largest fraud operations in the world. Um, as a result, Enron, which at one point was the seventh largest company in the United States, fell um, with tragic consequences, of course. But even today, 20 years on, those consequences are still being felt. So... We'll be talking about that for a few minutes in our end of the year podcast. Next year, I do have a few uh, surprises. Um, the podcast will become a little more professional. Um, I won't just be recording this with obviously a bad microphone. I plan to invest in a better microphone. So um, we have uh, hopefully a better pickup here. And also, um, I plan to do some interviews with some people who I believe are very important in the fight against fraud and have some valuable analysis. So um, look forward to that. My goal is to make 26 podcasts next year. I'm, not, I'm just going to abandon the idea of making twice a month. Um, I simply, my schedule is too unpredictable to say I will make two podcasts a month, but I think it's much more realistic to say I will make 26 podcasts next year. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, sometimes those podcasts will be 
maybe twice a week with a big break in between. Sometimes those podcasts will be jammed together after a long pause, but I think it's a bit more realistic than to simply say, I'm going to do this twice a month. Um, as I said, my schedule does not permit that. So with that being said, let's move forward and talk about um, some of the uh, biggest frauds, biggest news in the fraud department throughout the year and some of the frauds that were headline. Well, maybe headline is too strong a word, but certainly frauds that got noticed throughout the year. And um, one of the more interesting types of frauds is called uh, synthetic identity fraud. Uh, synthetic identity fraud is like identity fraud, but in this case, some information is stolen from an individual, but some information is fictional. So, for example, the name can be fictional, but the address is stolen in order to get clearance from an organization, basically to get money from that organization or um, open up fake, fake bank accounts, what have you, so that uh, money can be taken from a person's account. And um, it is one of the greatest, it is one of the more growing trends um, out there in the fraud industry. And um, unfortunately, with synthetic identity fraud, as the um, name suggests, unlike stolen identity fraud, which takes some work in that you're stealing the entire identity of a person, um, their name, date of birth, possible social security number, where they live, where they work, what have you, to create a fictional account, synthetic identity fraud does not rely on that much work. Um, as the name suggests, you're simply taking part of information and making up the rest and hoping for the best in trying to get access to somebody's account based on um, partial identity fraud. And um, of course, that is a danger that's out there. Um, it just goes to show you, of course, that uh, fraud is the battle against fraud is always ongoing. There's always going to be um, people who really are skilled at inventing new ways to engage in fraud to rip people off and people who are trying to prevent that. So what's an easy way or what's easy is perhaps once again, too strong a word. What is a way to fight against this? Well, once again, um, I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. Make sure each of your online accounts has a password. Please don't use the same password for all of your accounts or even a majority of your accounts or even two of your accounts for every account. Please have a separate online password. Now, of course, I realize that sometimes can be a pain as we usually have in today's day and age, a great number of password, a great number of accounts, bank accounts, uh, shopping accounts, um, what have you, online accounts for um, platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Then, of course, there are um, gaming accounts or multi multi level playing on online. But once again, the 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 old adage that a ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure applies here. Take the time to have a separate pass code password for each account and change it often. And that way much of this can be avoided. Um, the next, uh, the next issue with, um, next, in, uh, fraud, which seems to be growing and certainly was a noteworthy this year in 2021 is worthless cryptocurrency. Now, at some point in 2022, I'll be doing an episode or maybe several episodes on cryptocurrency. Um, cryptocurrency is uh, going to be with us for quite some time, and it's worth looking into. And because cryptocurrency is both new and exists online, the potentials for fraud and for people to be taken advantage of are endless. And cryptocurrency, worthless cryptocurrency, is just that. Currency which has no value and is never intended to have any value. Um, there are cryptocurrencies which come and go literally every day of the week. So sometimes it's hard to determine what is a true cryptocurrency, what is a false cryptocurrency, where is this cryptocurrency going? Well, unfortunately, many times there are more questions than answers. 
cryptocurrency is a product of the information age. Um, it's if we didn't have the computing power that we do now, we wouldn't be talking about cryptocurrency. Um, or if we, if we would, we'd be talking in a very limited sense. But cryptocurrency is going to continue to grow for, for the foreseeable future. There's no reason to think it's not. Um, but worthless, when you have cryptocurrency that's worth something, well, obviously you're going to have cryptocurrency that's not worth anything. And um, the, the way to um, fight against this, of course, well, I wish I had easy answers, but I don't. Um, but it's will require if you're going to, a person is going to invest in cryptocurrency, it's going to take some effort on the person's part to find someone, an investor who is, for lack of a better term, fluent in cryptocurrency, is aware of it, and also is ethically honest. And that's at this point in time the only advice I can give. Um, the problem with worthless cryptocurrency is sometimes people are paid in this cryptocurrency and they think they have money in the bank when literally all they have is zeros and ones which don't amount to anything and the next day when they try and cash in this cryptocurrency it is worthless so something to look out for um now this next um bit of fraud news which is was sort of in the news in 2021 are short squeeze theories and um, short squeeze theories are um Basically, it's it's type of pump and dump scam. I've talked, I may have talked about pump and dump, but basically, it's where um, a stock or a trade, something of value is is trade is talked about a great deal. That this is the way to go. This is the investment of the future, and unscrupulous investor, unscrupulous investment advisors will talk this stock up or talk this something up, and then after it reaches a certain price, they will these investors will dump their holdings for a profit, of course, and everybody else is left holding the bag, and um, short squeezes as they're known or pump and dump is it's nothing new i mean these have been going on for uh decades if not centuries the pump and dump schemes but um one of the most important things to realize or let me back up for a minute um an example of this is the GameStop uh, pump and dump or short squeeze which happened earlier this year where suddenly um game stops uh stock uh, stock became incredibly valuable which was in the usual in and of itself because GameStop sells what we used to call hard games, such as CD-ROMs, cartridges, whatever. Most gamers nowadays, myself included, buy everything online off Steam, unless it's something very, very unusual. GameStop, however, has a niche market in these um, in these games, which you can find on platforms, or I should say on devices like a CD-ROM or on an IC chip or something like that. It is a niche platform, and unless you're a really, really, really hardcore gamer, or unless you're into something very specific like an old game that you can't find online, it's not going to be something which most gamers are aware of. But for a brief time in 2021, um, suddenly GameStop's um, stocks shot through the roof and everybody wanted in on it. Now, there's a lot of theories as to why this happened. Um, I don't want to speculate on that now. But once again, this is a classic example of pump and dump. And especially with the GameStop stock, something that should have caught everybody's attention right off the bat, as a matter of fact, I think it did, was that why is this stock which represents a game store game stores which represents a very small niche of the gaming industry suddenly why is it so popular i mean certainly it's not be because somebody's putting a new game out there where you can only buy it at gamestop as i said it's um only for um, the game stops are for these old school games or niche games that you can't find anywhere else so that alone should have been a clue but the key with a pump and dump scheme or a short squeeze is suddenly everybody's talking about it everybody's talking about it and suddenly information is brought forward and the spotlight is on something and most investors have not heard about this before 
And that should be a, if not a warning sign, certainly, you want to talk about niche gaming, a Star Trek geek like myself, that should be a red alert that something is up, that you need to be a little bit careful. So short squeeze, especially involving uh, GameStop, was a big story in 2021. Um, Next one, this one never gets old. And we're talking about it now in 2021, and we'll be talking about it at some point in the future, I can guarantee you. Celebrity impersonator money scams. This is where somebody is impersonating a celebrity um, and they're holding a special event or something. And suddenly a a person who has no access to the celebrity is invited like Elon Musk or some movie star or some TV star or some uh, influencer on TikTok or what have you. And these people are pushing for an investment. Well, this is these are old schemes. Um, if somebody, if you're suddenly, if a celebrity is, or somebody who seems to be a celebrity is pushing this stuff forward, I guess the basic question is why, unless it's somebody like the actual Warren Buffett or the actual Elon Musk. And you don't have to look too hard to find out if the person is actually, um, investing in something, the actual Elon Musk or the actual Warren Buffett, but unless they're actually doing unless it's somebody like that why would you listen to some celebrity investor anywhere i mean for example leonardo dicaprio i happen to think is a very good actor and i'll go to see one of his movies but i don't really rely on him for investment advice and i wonder why anybody would so if leonardo dicaprio came to me with some investment scheme or suddenly my email was flooded with emails from somebody who um, says he's leonardo dicaprio talking about an investment scheme once again why would i be interested what would possible interest, what possible advice could Leonardo DiCaprio give me as an investor? And I think if you take a few minutes and just take a look at this and take a few steps back, you'd, you'd agree with me on this. This is one of those no-brainers. Um, it's unfortunate, however, that celebrity impersonators realize that certainly America and possibly a great deal of the world is uh, impressed. By, we're impressed by celebrities. Um, if we're impressed by people who we see on the TV screens or on our computer screens or on movie screens all the time. And sometimes we think they may have something to offer us that they actually don't. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where if a celebrity, unless it's an actual investor, unless it's somebody who actually has made a great deal of money in investments, like I said, like Warren Buffett or Elon Musk, unless they're involved, I'm really not interested. It's not something I can really look forward to and say, yeah, that person really may have something for me. You know, if Leonardo DiCaprio wants to, Leonardo DiCaprio wants to star in a movie, good for him. I may go see it, I may not, but I'm certainly not going to listen to his advice. And finally, of course, um, in 2021, as we are all aware, COVID is still with us. Um, and so the last big scam of 2021, or I should say the last, um, the last scam, which has been making news, um, was COVID-19 scams. And as I sit here and talk to you all, we realize that COVID is not, we're not through with COVID yet. We're on what, the Omicron variant? Um, it's, oh, COVID will be with us for some time to come. And I think it's foolish to to, um, to think otherwise. Now, I'm not going to get into an argument as to whether you should get vaxxed, whether you shouldn't get vaxxed, what have you. But certainly, um, COVID is out there and you need to be prepared for it. And of course, whenever you have something like COVID, you're going to have scams such as COVID scams. Now, Certainly in the United States, um, we had disbursements from the government based on COVID. Um, A lot of people got relief from COVID based on government checks. And what happens with these scams and COVID scams are no different from these scams that have been going on for a long time. Um, Fishers will send out 
uh, emails or text or phone calls where they say you need to confirm your personal information before you can receive your check. We have your COVID check waiting for you, but you need to confirm your personal information. So they'll ask name, the social security number, date of birth, what have you. And of course, that just goes without saying you should not under any circumstances give that kind of information over the phone, over text, over email, what have you. First of all, if it's the federal government, and you can trust me on this, the federal government already has your information. What do they need you to confirm it for? After all, your social security number came from the social security office. Why do you need to confirm it? Your date of birth, before you could get a social security number, you had to give them your date of birth. So obviously they know your date of birth. For a stimulus check, where do you live? Well, the IRS already knows where you live because that's where your stimulus check, that's where your refunds are mailed to you if you have a paper refund. So once again, a little bit of common sense here, just think through it. Why is the government calling you up or texting you, especially on an open line like that, asking for information? Whenever um, I call the IRS, when I'm calling on behalf of a client, the IRS is always making certain that I have the client's permission and they don't ask me to give the information or well, scratch that before I can give the information to them. They want to make sure I've identified myself as who I am. And the IRS agent will um, identify himself with a number where I can call back and verify it is this person. And also with the IRS, of course, they have certain numbers that they will that they, they call out on. So the IRS will never con call to ask you what is your social security number. They will call to ask you to confirm parts of your social security number or part of your date of birth or what have you. Once again, they already have this information and they certainly will not text you and ask you for it. I wish the IRS was that open where they would text you on something. Sometimes it takes forever to get a hold of them. So once again, just use common sense. So as we wind down, the top five scams that we've I've seen this year and other uh, fraud investigators have seen are the synthetic identity fraud, cryptocurrency scams, the short squeeze theories, the celebrity impersonators, and the COVID-19 scams, where somebody claiming to be from the government is calling to get your information. Um, over an open source like uh, text or something of that nature. It doesn't work that way, and it never will. So with that in mind, um, once again, as we approach the new, new year, there will be scams out there, new scams, variants of, of an old scam, and these are just the highlights. Now I'd like to move on and talk a little bit about um, Enron. Um, as I mentioned, this article in the Frog Magazine was written by Sharon Watkins. Um, who I uh, did have the pleasure of meeting on several occasions. Um, and Sharon Watkins was the person who, um, as I said, was the whistleblower who brought down Enron. And um, in the article itself, there's um, 10 risk indicators, which looking back, it would be a big indication that something was wrong at Enron. But of course, um, at the time, nobody really thought much about it, or those that did um, really didn't. Um, really weren't paying the attention they should. And by the way, I want to mention something here, which I think I've mentioned before, which is that um, Enron was able to get by with a lot of what they did because a lot of people were willing to look the other way. For example, Anderson Consulting, Arthur Anderson. At one time, that was one of the top five accounting firms, and it's not around anymore. Anderson was Enron's Enron was one of Anderson's biggest clients. And unfortunately, Enron or Anderson rather looked the other way when Enron um, was doing these these deeds. Uh, unfortunately, the the attractiveness of trying to get money from Enron was too much for um, Anderson. And as a result, they enabled um, Enron to get away with a lot of this. The reason I mention this is because um, when a company like Enron does the things they do, there's other people involved, other individuals and organizations. 
So um, let's talk about these 10 risk indicators that uh, looking back on Enron, we see what they did. Um, so for example, um, if uh, one of the big things is that um, the CEO abuses his or her um, position in some way. Ken Lay, who was the uh, CEO of Enron, who's since passed away, Ken Lay required all employees to book business travel through his um, sister's travel agency. Well, come on. If that's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what is. But the tone, the very tone of the top, as the article says, was Ken Lay really um, from his own doings, creating this conflict of interest so he could earn some extra money. That creates a terrible image for the company. Um, another issue that they have is stock option overuse. The compensation system relies significantly, significantly on stock options. Um, Enron was famous, and now, of course, is infamous for using stock options as a way to, for people to get paid in bonuses. Well, the problem with stock options when they're tied up in one company like Enron, it's tied exactly to that, only to that company. And if the company goes bankrupt or if the company goes south, like Enron obviously did, well, there go your stock options. A good bonus system is diversified, so the person will get reimbursed or get bonuses from a variety of different sources that have nothing to do with the company's fortunes. And that's one of the signs that you are with a good company if they're diversified like that. Um, one of the issues they had at Enron was was called diffusion of responsibility. Employees cannot adequately explain complex transactions or accounting treatments without relying on highly paid outside experts, such as accountants, auditors, let's face it, lawyers, consultants who bless the transactions or accounting machinations. So if in Enron's ex case, for example, the complex transactions that were going on, a lot of times people were asking, what, what's going on here? Why does this transaction work? Oh, ask Anderson Consulting oh, or ask our law firm or what have you. Well, if the person engaged in these trades or engaged in these activities can't explain what they're doing and they're relying on a third party, that's obviously an issue. I mean, of course, there are times when you need to call in outside counsel or you need to call in third parties, but not for every day-to-day -day op operations. That just doesn't make any sense. Um, an active spin machine. The public relations department is very actively, very active compared to other competitors. And that just goes without saying. If they're trying to put a spin on what they're doing, well, that just seems a little bit weird. I'm going to talk about this more next year, but one of the, when it comes to investments, I have my own personal theory, but one of my theories is that if you can't explain to me in two minutes what the investment is, I'm not interested. I mean, even the most complex investments can be broken down to a very simple explanation. If it takes more than two minutes, then it, that raises my alarm bells. I'm not saying it's foolproof, but I am saying that it certainly worked well for me. And this goes back to this um, with Enron, they have an active spin machine. If somebody, if some organization or some part of the organization is always covering for what's going on, that to me is a red flag that something unusual has happened, is happening. Um, another idea, another issue that happened with Enron were exceptions to the rules. Despite a, a strong written code of conduct and established internal controls, the organization may reprimand, but not terminate ethically challenged, but successful employees. So, and um, Enron was famous for having a very clear code of conduct as to what was expected from employees. And it was a very good code of conduct. Um, had Enron followed that code of conduct, the company would probably still be in business today. But when money is the only bottom line, when people are expected to bring in money, no matter what the cost, and those well-written codes of conduct go out the window, 
that's a sign that something's up. If um, the desire for that company to make money at all costs is so important that everything else goes out the window, well, that just doesn't work. Uh, high executive turnover. Um, if a company has high executive turnover, executives are constantly leaving, that's a sign that something probably isn't right. And towards the end of Enron's life, um, people are leaving left and right. Um, impeded communications. Methods for delivering bad news to the top are sketchy. Whistleblower hotlines are not um, active. The employer, water cooler talk, um, whatever, um, sometimes will hint at wrongdoing. One of the, the best companies, certainly I've found, are the ones that want to hear the truth. I mean, as a lawyer, I've often told my clients the, the purpose of a lawyer is not to tell you what you want to hear, it's to tell you what you need to hear. And it's as simple as that. You People pay lawyers, people pay me for my time because they want to hear it's not the truth. And certainly what I can tell them, I believe the truth to be. And sometimes that truth is hard. <clears throat> so if there's no way to tell the people at the top of a company what they need to hear, there's real problems there. Um, a charismatic leadership masking malignant narcissism. Um, the, the leadership at Enron was famous, famous for its outright narcissistic personalities. Um, Jeffrey Skilling was asked, are you smart? And he replied, and I apologize for the profanity. And he replied, I'm fucking smart. You know, of course, if you rise to the top, you, most people have some degree of intelligence. But if that intelligence is matched with just unbelievable narcissism, which once again was clearly at Enron, there's issues there. Um, the board of directors allows a CFO to enter into a conflict of interest. Uh, CF In this case, with Enron, the board waived the code of conduct to allow Andrew Fastow, the CFO of Enron, to become the general partner of an investment partnership that helped the company close out transactions that were taking too long in the marketplace. Once again, conflict of interest. And we talked about this with Ken Lay. If um, Ken Lay is willing to pretty much divert all travel to his sister's travel agency, there's a, there's a problem there. There's a problem. And finally, um, if the internal audit department is fully outsourced, in other words, a state of risk management, um, if the uh, risk management personnel don't have the autonomy or um, authority to review, um, review things, then there's issues there as well. Um, the... Um, it goes without saying that if there's no internal auditors, there's no fraud examiners. So a company has to have independent fraud examiners and independent um, risk managers to once again tell them what's going on. If uh, the internal audit department is fully outsourced where nobody can tell them what's going on, there might be an issue there as well. So um, these are just 10 factors that when you look back on Enron, really played a part in Enron's demise and really, really sent the company over the edge. And of course, hindsight is always 2020. Um, but if, um, once again, these 10 factors, and certainly not every company will have these 10 factors. Enron was just unusual, you might say, to have these. It, even a company that has two or three of these is something which you might want to take a closer look at. Anyway, I notice I'm running out of time here. I'd like to wish everybody a very happy new year, a very happy 2022. Um, hopefully this COVID will start to see some light at the end of the tunnel here. And um, as I said, I thank everyone very much for listening to my podcast. I really, uh, really, it's glad to know there are listeners out there. And um, I hope to have some, um, some even better podcasts for you in 2022. Thank, take care.